Please have a seat. And just before the boys and girls head out, let's pray at the start of this new term for, for Crest and for Junior Church. Lord God, we thank you for every boy and girl in our church, for those who are able to be here today, for those who are at home. Lord, we pray that you would give to each one of them a love for the Bible so that they might love you, that they might love Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And Lord, we pray that as they go to their classes, uh, that you would help them to, to read and to understand and to be able to put into practice uh, what your word teaches. Lord, thank you for their teachers. Pray that you would guide them as they look to, to love our children, to uh, show them by example and by words uh, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, we pray uh, for them as we pray uh, for ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. So the boys and girls can head uh, to their classes. And while they are doing that, perhaps in your Bibles, you can turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, As we spend January thinking about what Jesus says about the church and about uh, prayer and today about the Bible. We're going to use the Gospel of Matthew to help us in that. So we've got three short readings. The first from Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 11, and then chapter 5, and then chapter 12. And the words will also be up on the screen. And so let's hear God's word. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And then a really short reading from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 at verse 17. So Matthew 5 at verse 17 Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
And then lastly, in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and at verse 38, where we read, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Amen. Now, before we turn back to think about those passages, and also to help us in our confession, as we look to confess sin together, we're going to sing two sections of Psalm 38. We're going to sing from the beginning, where we see David confess sin and the misery uh, that it brings. And then we'll read from the end, sing from the end, verses 17 to the end, where we find uh, David praying that he wouldn't be abandoned, that he'd be rescued, that he'd be saved. And we can pray these words as ours. And at the same time, uh, we need to recognize that our hope lies again in Jesus, our Savior, uh, the sinless Son of God who took on for us the weight and misery of sin. Uh, the one who died for our sin, entrusting himself to God, uh, the one who rose again in victory, uh, the one who assures us of forgiveness when our faith is in him. So let's stand and sing these two sections from Psalm 38 together. In wrath to... now, if you have your Bibles, perhaps you can keep them open. Um, at Matthew's Gospel, we'll be beginning in chapter 4, as we think about what Jesus says um, about the Bible. So as I said, we're going to go back to some of those fundamentals uh, of our faith in January, uh, to think about Bible and prayer and, and mission and church. Uh, just a couple of days ago, we began to watch uh, a little bit of uh, Naomi uh, Osaka, the tennis player's uh, documentary, and there was there was one or two scenes where you would see nothing but but her constantly uh, hitting the same shot with her coach time and time again uh, as a way to check up on those fundamentals of her swing and to make any corrections that needed to be made. And it's important for us as uh, Christians, as the church, to think about our fundamentals uh, in our faith. And I think especially in our own times where the world has been out of rhythm for such a long time, uh, so of our lives for, for a variety of reasons, and the church Again, we find ourselves out of our usual kind of rhythms and patterns, and it can be really easy uh, to lose disciplines. The stuff that, that has always been really basic and essential to faith, it's really easy to, to lose those disciplines and even to lose sight of, of perhaps why they matter. So today, you know, why does it matter so much that we, we are hearing from God in his word? So um, today I want to ask one really simple but crucial question. And it's this, what does Jesus believe about the Bible? Because uh, when we think about that, that simple question, what does Jesus believe about the Bible? If we are Christians, 
then our instinct should be to believe what he teaches. To follow his example and to hold to his view of the word of God. Um, and, And similarly, if we're here today or we're watching online, we're not Christians. Again, this is a great starting point. Uh, when we have questions about the Bible uh, and about uh, Christianity, what does Jesus say uh, about the Bible? So so three points that we're going to consider today from those different passages. One, we're going to think about the authority of the Bible. Uh, we're going to consider the fact that the Bible, in Jesus' view, is unbreakable. And thirdly, to think about the fact that in Jesus' view, the Bible is reliable. So Matthew chapter 4, uh, thinking about the Bible, has authority. So here we find ourselves right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, And he's just been baptized. The Spirit has come down and the Father has said at the end of uh, chapter 3, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So he's been blessed and now he's going to be tested. Uh, This is a pattern that we see uh, in the Bible. Adam, first man, uh, created and blessed. He was tested in the garden and he failed. Uh, Israel was blessed. Uh, They were chosen and saved to become God's people. They were tested in the wilderness and they failed. Jesus, son of God, he is blessed, he is tested, and we see that he succeeds. Now, uh, Jesus, of course, uh, when he is tempted, has uh, a unique calling. Uh, The devil recognizes that, saying, if you are or since you are the son of God. So Jesus is uh, the son of God and he must live as the son of God. So there's something unique about the temptation that Jesus faces. But when we think about how Jesus succeeds, in that he trusts the authority of the Bible, he looks to submit to it and and to obey it, we recognize that his resource in resisting temptation is our resource too. God's written and unchanging word of truth is our authority and is our defense Uh, when we find ourselves being tempted. So if we are to resist temptation and to honor God, we must both love and live by God's word. And we see that in the life of Jesus. So let's look really briefly at these three temptations. The first one, uh, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Uh, Tempted on the matter of provision, we can imagine, as it were, the devil saying, Jesus, as the son of God, why not use your power and your rights to provide for your needs. Uh, Why not ensure that you have comfort? And how does Jesus respond? Uh, Responding from the book of Deuteronomy, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Bread is not of first importance. The physical life is not of first importance. God's word is. Our spiritual lives are of first importance. Notice Jesus says, every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the whole Bible, not just parts of it, the whole Bible is food for our soul. And notice too that it comes from the mouth of God. So what the Bible says, God says. And it's so important for us to recognize as we come to the word of God, what the Bible says, God says to us. The second temptation sees the devil take Jesus up to the highest point of the the temple, And here the issue at stake seems to be protection. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And then he quotes Psalm 91. He'll command command his angels. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus, the Bible says the angel's job is to care for you. 
So why not jump off the temple to prove it? And how does Jesus respond? Jesus answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What do we see in Jesus? Jesus trusts his father. Jesus will not manipulate his father. Jesus doesn't need a dramatic demonstration of the care of God. He instinctively trusts it. He's not going to test his God. And it also shows that for Jesus, the Bible is consistent. One part is not going to disagree with another part. And then the final temptation from verse 8 is on this, the, the subject of power. Uh, the devil takes Jesus to a very high mountain and in his, in his mind's eye sees all the kingdoms of the world and, and all their glory. And the devil says, Jesus, don't you want a world empire? Imagine what it would be like if you ruled. Imagine the peace and the justice. All you need, the price you need to pay is simply to bow down and worship me. And again, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, third time he quotes from Deuteronomy, worship a Lord your God and serve him only. Because the word of God calls for the exclusive worship and honor of God, eh, he will not pursue his kingdom in a way that dishonors his God. The ends do not justify the means. Jesus will not take a shortcut to his kingdom. He will not avoid suffering and the cross. So here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what are we seeing from Jesus? We're seeing that he submits his will, his mind, his heart to the word of God, to hearing it, to to learning from it, to be able to recall it, and to apply it when he is tempted. Jesus believes God is the author of Scripture and that God's Word has authority, and so he submits to it in his life. Now, let's just think before we move on, why does this matter for for you and me today? Why does it make Bible reading of vital importance for you and I today? Well, if we go right uh, to a comparison, we need to recognize that just as Jesus was tempted, we too will be tempted. And when we are, we need God's word in our lives. Just as Jesus was tempted to personal comfort, don't we find sometimes that we are tempted to pursue our own comfort rather than costly obedience, uh, to follow the path of least resistance as Christians sometimes? Uh, Aren't we sometimes tempted uh, to demand personal security and health and well-being from God rather than confident trust in him, regardless of circumstance? Aren't we tempted to want personal glory rather than committing to worship God and giving him the glory? And aren't we tempted each and every day towards sin, towards disobedience. And so we need to learn to submit to the authority of the Bible, and we need to be hearing the Bible, so we're reminding ourselves always of the glory of God, of the sinfulness in our own hearts, of the wonder of the gospel, of the joy of forgiveness of the Spirit who's at work in us to enable us to obey. So we need the Bible because we will be tempted, and we also um, need to recognize the authority of the Bible because we're always choosing what we're giving attention to. 
Because we know, don't we, that in our own lives there are so many competing values and so many competing voices on any number of issues and subjects. And there's always the question of what voice are we going to listen to? Whose word carries the most weight in our own hearts and lives? Will it be the messages of popular culture? Will it be the opinions of my peer group? Or will it be the personal, living, speaking God? Perhaps to make it really practical, think about this morning, think about a typical morning, which do we reach for first? Is it the Word of God? Or is it our phones? Sometimes how we begin the day sets the tone for our day. So it's good to begin the day hearing God in His Word. To think about which word we reflect on most, which values uh, are, uh, are most a part of how we live day by day. So Jesus shows us the Bible has authority. And now turn over with me to chapter 5 and at verse 17 uh, to recognize that in Jesus' understanding, the Bible is unbreakable. It can be helpful to to ask ourselves the question, to reflect on how strong is my confidence in the Bible? Uh, When I approach God's Word, whatever section, whatever Old Testament or New Testament, uh, do I uh, think it is reliable uh, or unreliable? Do I think of it as unchanging or does it always need to, to change in light of the culture we find ourselves in? When we have questions about God and about faith, is it the authority to answer those questions? Or are we going to be going onto YouTube or looking to some popular expert who might give us an alternative view? In Christians and churches, sometimes we can be apologetic, I think. We can be defensive. We can, we can run away from questions about the authority of the Bible or the reliability of the Bible, our confidence in the Bible. But when we listen to the words of Jesus, and you can go through Matthew's gospel, you see lots of Jesus' view on scripture. And if we, if we trust him and if we listen to those words, it's going to give us confidence. Because Jesus has no doubt that God's word is unbreakable and God's word is unchanging. And that too, when we think about how Jesus thinks about the Bible, is going to motivate us to read so as to obey because we know that this is our standard and it's not going to change. We don't need to adapt it to fit our culture. Point one to think about here, when Jesus talks about the Bible being unbreakable, let's think about uh, his understanding that his mission is to fulfill Scripture, the Word of God, as it is in the Old Testament. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So when he says the law and the prophets, it's a way of thinking about the whole Old Testament. And he says he's not come to abolish them, to set them aside, as, as some of his critics thought he was doing. Rather, he's come to fulfill them. So let's think about how does Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? When we read the Gospels, we discover he fulfills the whole moral law. Uh, He fulfills that, first of all, in his teaching. So we're at the beginning, towards the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus is about to do in the next section for the rest of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 
is he is about to uh, remind the people that the law is a matter of heart, it's a matter of motive. It's not uh, some kind of tick box exercise, it's not just superficial legalism. No, it's about our heart attitude towards God and towards his word. And so Jesus fulfills it in his teaching, but Jesus also fulfills the whole moral law in his life. So remember, Jesus summarizes the the whole law in two ways. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And two, love your neighbor as yourself. We read the Gospels. Isn't that what we discover in Jesus? Uh, One who was determined always to, to obey, to honor, to glorify his Father, even to the point of his dying on the cross. And don't we see him so readily loving others at great cost to himself, loving the least, loving the outcast, loving the sick, uh, loving those uh, who were needing spiritual teaching. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus, in his life, in his words, in his actions, fulfills the whole moral law. Jesus also fulfills the whole moral law in his death. Because one of the things that the law is really clear on is that the wages of sin is death. That that sin must be punished. Offenses against a holy God must be dealt with. And Jesus comes as a substitute. And what we see on the cross is the penalty that sin deserves. What we see is Jesus going under the curse that sin and rebellion deserves. And Jesus isn't doing that because he has done anything wrong. Rather, he is taking the sins of his people. So he fulfills the moral law in his death, but not just in taking the penalty, but also in being that great sacrifice to atone for sin. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament that speak of forgiveness, that speak of peace with God, point towards the great sacrifice of God sending his son Jesus to be that once-for-all sacrifice for sin. So he fulfills the law in his teaching, in his life, in his death. And he also fulfills what the Old Testament anticipates and, and promises. Sometimes people uh, think about the Old Testament as promise and the New Testament, the coming of Jesus, as fulfillment. So we talked about sacrifices. The the promise of sacrifice is fulfilled in Jesus, forgiveness from God through the sacrifice of his son. Uh, The Old Testament emphasis on the temple, the place where we can meet with God. And Jesus says, I am God with you. I am the way to meet with God. All the kings that we read about in the Bible speaking to us of the one great king who would rule in perfect righteousness forever. The seed promised to Adam who would crush the head of the serpent. The seed promised to Abraham who would be blessing to the nations. That's Jesus. All those rich promises anticipating a Messiah who would come from God with the authority of God, but who would die as a suffering servant before rising and returning to glory. That's Jesus. And so Jesus reads the Old Testament. He says, this is all about me. And that too informs how we read, especially how we read the Old Testament. We're looking to find Jesus on every page. So Jesus' mission is about fulfillment. But then if you look at verses 18 and 19 of chapter 5, we see that Jesus understands the Bible to be permanently valid. Really strong words from Jesus, verse 18, for truly I tell you, Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter 
not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now compare that with an article yesterday talking about the uh, the stress and the exhaustion that people are facing as they're dealing with, as we are dealing with, never-ending COVID laws and regulations and restrictions. I compare that with God's Word. Jesus is saying all of God's Word is more permanent than the universe. All Scripture is permanently valid. This is bedrock. This is unchanging for us. Jesus um, is addressing, in a sense, the misunderstandings of the Pharisees. One of the things the Pharisees did was they divided into heavy and light laws. They decided which ones to prioritize. Jesus says, all the law matters. Every part matters. And not just the externals, but also the heart. How helpful is this when we sort of think about the, the time that we live? You know, m- Many uh, modern thinkers... Uh, writers, if there's a clash of culture and cultural values with the Bible, then of course, for them, culture always wins. But when Jesus says the Bible is all truth, and the Bible is always truth, then for us as Christians, we need to say that the Bible always wins. Some principles that follow when we think about culture and the Bible, we need to have humility, recognizing that God's word is not broken, but that we are. Beginning personally, but before we think about the society that we live in, it's my assumptions, my culture, my pride, my prejudice, my ignorance that needs to be confronted, not God's word. And so when Jesus says the Bible is unbreakable, that, that that needs our humility. Let's think about commitment to the Bible as well. Because here is one place where Jesus would clearly reject any concept of a, a pick-and-mix approach to the Bible, a pick-and-choose approach to the Bible. Now, you will, you will read uh, scholars, you will hear people in culture say, well, I really like the, the Sermon on the Mount, or I like the love commands. I'm not so keen on... On this part, not to you know what Jesus says about sexual ethics or about marriage. If the Bible is unbreakable and unchanging, and Jesus said it was, then we must humbly submit to it all and seek to obey those parts that we naturally agree with and those parts that challenge us and confront us and make us address our assumptions. And to think to you about Christ and the Bible, there was an old uh, minister in London, I think in the 19th century, who said that just as all roads in England eventually lead to London, uh, so all the Old Testament themes ultimately lead to Christ. I think one of the most helpful things that we can we can ask as we come to an Old Testament section of the Bible is to ask ourselves, how does this uh, anticipate the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the words of Jesus, uh, as, as Jesus himself taught his disciples that, that he is what this, the, the whole scripture is about, uh, we need to be looking for him on every page. But we also need to be looking to Jesus uh, to understand what heart obedience looks like. 
So as we said in the next section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to say that that command about murder isn't just about murder, it's also about anger, because it's a matter of the heart. That command about adultery isn't just about adultery, it's also about lust, because it's a matter of the heart. And so we need to be looking to Jesus to, to know what true obedience looks like. So the Bible's unbreakable. Uh, the last uh, section we're going to look at is that, that little section we read in Matthew 12, and to think about the fact that the Bible is unbreakable. No, we thought about that already. The Bible is reliable. Um, ever since the 19th century, I guess, um, with the rejection of miracles, rejection of the supernatural, uh, begun to come increasing criticism of the Bible and Old Testament history and challenges raised over whether we can trust it. But those challenges aren't just reserved for old books or modern books. We have probably had some of those challenges, perhaps from our friends or from our family. Can you really believe in the historical Adam that we all come from? Adam and Eve? Perhaps people have questions about some of those dramatic events of the Old Testament. Maybe the story of Noah or the story of Jonah, as we'll think about uh, there are questions about the general uh, reporting and the accuracy. You know, can we really trust uh, what an oral culture uh, has to say? And again, as Christians and as churches, it can be easy for us to feel like we're on the defensive. It can be easy to, to perhaps feel embarrassed or to lose confidence. And that, again, is why we need to hear Jesus. If we're going to uh, be those who live by the Word of God, we need to have confidence that is reliable. And so it's really helpful again to listen to Jesus in Matthew 12, because for him, biblical history is history. You can go through all the Gospels and you will never find Jesus ever question a historical figure, a historic event, a historic miracle that's recorded in the Old Testament. That's our basis for confidence. Jesus believed it, so I can believe it too. Which takes us to Matthew 12, and perhaps the a classic objection that people might have when it comes to Old Testament stories. Surely you can't really believe in Jonah being swallowed by a giant fish. Well, in reply, we can say, well, Jesus did. Look at those words, Matthew 12, verse 39. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And now listen as Jesus compares uh, the situation of Jonah with what's coming in his own life. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Just as Jonah was in the belly, Jesus would be buried. Jesus is saying, Jonah's history is as real as my story. And so when we are met with lots of skepticism about the reliability of the Bible, that one place we can go as Christians is to the opinion of Jesus. You know, who, who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust Jesus? Or am I going to trust an expert writing some 2,000 years after Jesus? And if there was any doubt about how Jesus sees Jonah as a historical figure, he then moves on to talk about the Queen of the South or the Queen of Sheba. Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon 
is here. Jonah is historical, just as the Queen of Sheba is historical. Jesus uses Old Testament history uh, to point towards himself. And his message there came with a challenge. Remember Nineveh, Jesus says. They really repented at the real message of the real Jonah. Jesus says to the crowds, and by extension says to us, have we repented? Have we believed in? Have we listened to and trusted in the one greater than Jonah, who is Jesus? It says of the Queen of Sheba, She moved heaven and earth to listen to real wisdom from the real King Solomon. But what about us? Are we living by the greater wisdom of that greater King, King Jesus? Are we listening to him in his word? So in conclusion, knowing what Jesus believes about the Bible should help us as we turn to read it and to hear it. You know, just as tennis players often return to their coaches to make sure the fundamentals of their swing are right, we should regularly return to Jesus, our master, to think, is my view on the Bible right? And not just, is my theory about it right, but am I living by God's word? Am I prioritizing it in my life? Wouldn't it be wonderful to share Jesus' view of the Bible? To share his heart for it. You know, Jesus said God's word has authority and he loved it and he submitted to it and he obeyed it. Jesus said God's word is unbreakable and so he came on a mission to fulfill it and to show us what true heart obedience looks like. Jesus said God's word is reliable, and he had full confidence in it. He received it as the voice of God, and he understood that it all pointed to him and his great work of redemption. And so as we look to establish fundamentals as Christians and as a church, surely this is uh, something to be so basic for us, to be reading God's words. One or two practical suggestions. Maybe this is the time for some of us to start building or rebuilding habits when it comes to Bible reading. To set aside time so that we're hearing and we're reading every day. That we would make that time, that we would have that self-discipline to prioritize time in God's Word. If that means going to bed a little earlier or getting up a little bit earlier so that we have uh, that bit of time regular time to be with God. To think about our own patterns, our own habits, how we typically work best so that we would know for ourselves when would be a good time for us to try and build in uh, time with God's Word. And that connected with the Word of God, we'd be praying about it, that we would want our hearts to have that hunger for the Word of God, that we wouldn't be just opening it so that we can tick our box and say, well, we've done our duty because we've read our Bibles, that we'd want to, to meet with God in His Word. We want to be filled with joy. We want to have strength for the day as we find God in his word. That we pray that we'd have a heart like Jesus. That we would submit to the bits we find easy and the bits we find hard. That we would ask God to open our eyes. That we would see wonderful things in the word of God. 
that the same Spirit who inspired the Bible uh, would light it up for us so that we would see it, we would understand it, we'd apply it, we'd obey it. That we'd be like that wise man uh, from the end of the Sermon on the Mount who built his house on the rock, the rock of Jesus and his word. That it would be strength for us, it would be strength for our families, it would be strength for our church. Our life would be built on the word of God. Now let's pray together. Lord, our God, uh, we want to give you thanks uh, that your word is true, uh, that it is reliable, that it is unchanging, that it is life-giving, that in your word we discover the gospel of your grace towards us in sending Jesus as our Savior. And so we pray that you'd help us to trust your word, uh, to make time to read your word, and a will and a desire to live by your word. We confess that so often we don't do the things that we want to do. We confess that we know in theory uh, how vital the Bible is for our church and for our lives, but so often uh, we find ourselves slow uh, to make time for it. We can find ourselves so distracted. We can find other things far more uh, easy to get into than we find to come to church or to read our Bibles. Lord, we confess uh, our hard hearts and we pray uh, that you would give us that desire uh, to read, that you would give us that understanding uh, so that we would hear from you and know what you are saying to us. Lord, we pray uh, for our country. Uh, We remember that Scotland was once known as the people of the book. Lord, we realize how few people today read the Bible, how few really know who Jesus is, how little biblical literacy there is. Lord, we pray that you would renew and revive. We pray that you would give a hunger for your word. We thank you for organizations like the Bible Society and for Scripture Union and for Christian unions and for those who look to encourage Bible reading. Lord, we pray for the nation of Kazakhstan, which we have seen in the news recently. We think of them in the chaos and unrest. We think, too, of your people there, knowing that there is real persecution for the significant Christian minority as they don't have freedom of worship, as those who convert to Christianity from Muslim backgrounds can find themselves isolated or imprisoned. Lord, give them a steadfast confidence in your word, in Jesus, the word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that he would show the glory of salvation so that people would believe and have life. Lord, we pray for every nation that is enduring persecution and trouble because of their faith. Help them to know and to live by your word of truth. Lord, we pray today for those in our church who find themselves in special need. Lord, may you grant wisdom. May you grant comfort. May you give encouragement as we need it. Lord, for those who are seeking you, 
uh, for those who are not yet Christians. May they read your word and may you reveal yourself and your love and your way of salvation through faith in Jesus to them. Break down barriers, uh, we pray. Lord, we pray for those who find that their faith is weak, who perhaps have lost those uh, basic spiritual disciplines through COVID or other circumstances. Lord, please gently restore and renew to folks the joy of their salvation. Lord, all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, by way of uh, reflecting on what we've been thinking about, our closing hymn is Speak, O Lord. A uh, quick book review before we finish. Not a book review. Uh, if you want a good book on uh, why the Bible is worth knowing, trusting, and loving, uh, Kevin DeYoung, Taking God at His Word, nice and short, really good read. You can have a flick if you want after. Uh, let's stand and let's sing together Speak, O Lord. <laughs>